When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Sunday, August 18th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 328 featuring Celtics radio play-by-play man Sean Grandy is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit of $55 or more. Welcome back, everyone. Another edition of Celtics Beat. Adam Kaufman here with you, and let's jump right in. Normally, I have my little preamble. I don't feel like doing that right now because we've got a great guest, as we normally do. Celtics radio voice, Sean Grandy. And, uh, you know, Sean, we I can't remember the last time that we had you on. It wasn't that long ago, but it's great to have you back either way. How's the summer been treating you? You know, summer is, uh, I don't think I was built for summer. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's hard to. You're a winter sports you guy. Become, it's like Shawshank, right? You become institutionalized, like you're an NBA guy after 21 years, and there's a certain rhythm to it. <laughs> and uh, particularly since this summer began, say, a little sooner than uh, yeah, a lot then, of people thought. Liked. But, yeah, my son's going to be eight in October, and we've just been on a, uh, we did a ballpark tour. And, you know, we did, we got him to Pittsburgh, and I got him to Camden Yards, and just, we've been all over the place, so. That is obviously the best part. Had you been to all these places, or and it was you know new for him you know, or new for you it, too? It's funny you should ask because when I was a kid, at one point, and my mother, who was you know God bless her, she was like really she sort of sacrificed her own life and her own interest to and became obsessed with the ballpark tour concept herself. Oh like, wow! You know, she could see well, she could see these cities that she wanted to see, and then if the only trade off was she had to sit through a ball game with her teenage son. She did it. There was a point where I was about five or six away, maybe just five away from having been to all of them in, say, 1990-something, right? But so many of them have changed right. that my number had gone way down. And so at least you can say you've seen games like, in these cities. You can do that. Sure. But I'm saying the, the, at one point I'd been to almost all of them. And then I'll give you an example. I'm going to miss the ballpark at Arlington. I'm never going to get there mm. right? because I missed that one. I went to Arlington Stadium when I was a kid, but now the, I'm literally missing ballparks because, you know, but I hadn't been to, uh, I hadn't been to Pittsburgh. I hadn't been to Atlanta. Um, well, I actually I had been to Pittsburgh, but I hadn't been to Atlanta, uh, the new one, which is great. And, you know, so many, I haven't been to San Diego yet, but, you know, my son is, my son is a head start. Let's put it that way. I didn't really get going until I was nine or 10. He's already got about eight or nine of them knocked off at the, uh, that's pretty age, good. So. Yeah, there are yeah, some older the ones. Baseball cards and the stadium tour. He's way ahead of the curve. <laughs> there are some older ones that I hit before. You know, new ones. Have, like I went to the old Bush Stadium. I went to RFK before the Nats moved into their new park, which isn't as new now. I went to uh, the Metrodome before the the Twins moved into their new nice. But so I see a lot of the old dumpy places, and I I, I miss the new nice ones. Yeah, I had obviously the year I did the Red Sox. I got a couple in. Uh, you know, I did games in Tampa and Houston and Baltimore and Seattle and, uh, you know, I forget all of them now. But, um, yeah, I, I'm still, you know, what's amazing is that my son sort of has this baseball soul and that's his favorite sport, which is hmm. obviously that's becoming a rarity now. Yeah, very strange for an eight-year-old. And it's really, it's been a, uh, you know, it's it's everything that they say it is when you can sort of relive your your baseball card youth with your child. It's nothing really to... Uh, to beat that again, swinging back to the topic at hand, particularly if it's a season that you just as soon put in the rearview mirror as soon <laughs> as possible and try some other things in life. Well, to that end, you know, we always hear players, coaches, execs, you know, Danny Ainge has done it. That they say they need to get better from year to year. They want to work on things in the offseason, come back improved in one area or another come that next season. How have you been working to improve yourself and your broadcast for the 2019 20 campaign? You know, meeting up with Max two or three times a week, just going over film, <laughs> sure, running, yeah. running some of the games, uh, <laughs> you know, with our audio over them, just looking at, uh, you know, different ways. Self-critiques. We can, we can be better. Self-critiques. It really is the, I don't say the danger of the job, but as 
someone who's done, you know, if you're doing national work and you're especially the last few years when I've been doing a new sport to me, when I did MMA, when mm-hmm. I did boxing, your senses are so heightened because there's so much to learn and you're trying to do a great job and you're whatever versus having the institutional job where you, you really have to work to not become complacent in it and that Max and I have our things. You always have to find a way to make it new and to make it better. I think technology has helped us that way. We, you know, with the internet, with social media, you're always looking for a. I am at least. You're always looking for a, a way to sort of advance it and make what you do relevant because everything is evolve or die, especially now. And you know, this job, the one that I'm in now, is not the same job that it was in 1985 or 1965. Sure. And you just have to figure out a way to to make it relevant, speaking to an entire new generation of fans. I'm often reminded how old I'm getting. <laughs> there are fans, there are people who listen to us, there's kids listening to us that were not alive when Max and I did our first game together. Because yeah. Time goes by fast for you, but you don't, until you step back and realize, I've done this bit a lot, but you have that. You know, in my case, you had that false sense of security about your age, right? Because I've been traveling for 18 years. It'll be 19 now with Tommy and Mike and Max. So you think, hey, I'm the young guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm the young I'm, I'm always the right? So it's, again, the great quote from Thornton Mellon and Back to School, if you want to look thin, surround yourself with fat people, <laughs> right? which was the thing from his big and tall stores. Even that movie reference now is extremely old. Sure, But that's the point is that you don't, you know, it, time goes by fast. When I my first year with those guys, they were sitting around one day on one of the bus rides into the city from the airport, and they were talking about the Dirty Dozen, okay, mm-hmm. classic movie from their era, yeah, before I was born. And they're talking about what a great movie it is, and they're reciting lines from it. And my thought bubble, and I probably because I was pretty obnoxious then and now, <laughs> it probably was more than a thought bubble. Was what are you old guys? talking about like these old (laughs) movies and whatever and that's when you realize very quickly a few years later i started to write a piece about how the 08 celtics had gone from worst to first and they were and i had this whole thing about trading places the eddie murphy movie Mm -hmm. from my childhood and i I assigned the characters to different people and whatever and i thought this was a really clever piece and all of a sudden i realized that movie's 25 years old (laughs) so that now like now you're the old man so this is what this is what happens. So you always have to find a way to reinvent it and know that we have a very unique job and that our audience, the range of the audience when you're a team broadcaster is not like it is. Everything else is what my old friend Glenn Ordway would call narrow casting, right? Mm. Specifically a certain demographic, a game broadcast being an announcer for a team, you're talking to kids who are eight and you know, a senior citizens who are 80. So you have to figure out a way to make them all feel welcome, and that means sort of changing what you do from time to time. Well, I think it's definitely welcoming listening to you, listening to Max. And I was thinking about Max because, you know, you get to work with him on a nightly basis. I say get to. You might say have to on certain nights. But, uh, you know, I'm wondering, since Max is part of the CLNS family now, have you heard his new podcast? Absolutely. Well, the thing is, I live it. (laughs) That's very true. It's not like a lot of new things that are new to me are going to come out, but I'm glad that, you know, I, I think the one thing that people would, that, that is pretty clear about what Max and I do is that we do not have the exposure that other avenues do. That's the, you know, when you, when you leave television to do radio, you're giving up a large portion of the audience and, rec- you know, the recognizability and all that stuff and just do the general exposure there's a lot of there are legitimate hardcore celtic fans i'm sure who have never heard us and we've been doing this for almost 20 years Mm. you know people so the point being that i like that max is doing taking his stuff that we do and is putting it in a different in a different place i mean what we get even to this day is there's almost an apology when people come up to us and say they listened or they heard us do this thing, there was always some preamble like, I was stuck in my car, so I heard you. Uh, the cable <laughs> went out, so I heard you. you know, I'm like, we do this every night. <laughs> We're here every game. We've been doing this. And I think it sort of changed, you know, 10 years ago when the Celtics got very good. And obviously television gets kicked out early in the playoffs. So between all these big national games over the last 10, 12 years and, and, the, and the playoff runs, Obviously, we sort of had more of a exclusivity in town, but you know, and national announcers, and I think 
guess I can say this now because I've had to hold my tongue and be so politically correct about it for the last couple of years. But players only was a big boost to uh, to our audience whenever the Celtics yeah, would land was, on a yeah, it was, uh, it was awful. On a players, <laughs> it was, you know it was what? Terrible. It wasn't, I, I I actually I applauded the idea. Like I just said, bringing back what I said three minutes ago because my attention spans are shorter. Trying something new is great. I think it was a great thing to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, you try anything. It just it didn't work out, and the reason it didn't work out is the same reason you don't. You could theoretically get on a plane. They could fly planes now without pilots, right? You could do that. Sure. Like remote control, a plane could be flown from Boston to Denver by computers and mm-hmm. things like that. It could be done, but you don't necessarily want to get on one that doesn't have a pilot. Yeah. And that is generally what you know. Uh, say say what you want about my chosen profession and my avocation and what it is I do for a living. Uh, you could say it doesn't matter in the big picture and it's not brain surgery and whatever, but you, you need a play-by-play announcer. I mean, I'm talking to one, but you need a play-by-play guy if you're going to you know, have a game broadcast. I'm going to ask you something that it's possible you've never been asked along those same lines. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. Grant Williams chatted with ESPN, of course, the new Celtics rookie who I'm obsessed with. I love this kid already and haven't even seen him play a real game yet. But he was asked about jersey swaps, which, as we know, big in sports, definitely in the NBA. And he said the guys that he would most like to swap jerseys with are Kawhi Leonard and Draymond Green. So the question for you is, if it were actually a thing, it's not, who would you most like to swap microphones with? Well, you know what's interesting is, again, I get older and older and older. I've had, I've gotten to meet a lot of these guys over the years. They've become fun banquet stories. Mm-hmm. These, I've, you know, I've got a great meeting Bob Costa story, and I've got a great meeting Jim Nance story. Uh, I met Al Michaels about a year ago, which was actually just random. Um, so I enjoy meeting them and talking to them, uh, and I realize that. When you get to a certain age, you know what? You can sort of take it. You can sort of play the, you know, the Sean Grandy card doesn't really do much for you in life. <laughs> there are certain little areas where, you re- again, this is the, the upside of being old and having done this for a long time. Is there's a there's a little tiny bit of one percent cachet with it. So sure. when the Bru- when the Bruins made that playoff run, it occurred to me that Mike Emmerich was going to be in town quite a bit, and I had never met Mike Emmerich, and so I made a few calls and I sent a few texts and I pulled a few strings and I set up a little audience for myself to meet him um, at Bruins practice during, I think they're in the uh, conference finals. And that was, that was really cool for me because not only is he the greatest guy, obviously, as everybody knows, and we were just, it's just Mike Emmerich and I talking shop for 45 minutes. And I was able to tell him things that he said in 1989 (laughs) that I remembered, you know, like listening to in high school, when I knew this is what I wanted to do for a living, and that 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 kind of thing is pretty cool. So, I I think in each sport I sort of have my own guy, um, and it, that it it changes. But there's there's a short list of you know I, I think Al is probably the best to ever do it. Mike is certainly the best to ever call hockey. I have a fun story about during the finals in 2010 going to a Dodger game on one of the off nights in the mm-hmm. finals out there. And I knew the our producer, our engineer producer in Los Angeles, does the Spanish radio for the Dodgers. So I went up. You know, he's like, "Oh, come up and see me." So I went up to see him, and I met Fernando Valenzuela, which is really cool because I got to see him pitch. I'm, I'm old enough to have seen Fernando pitch at Dodger <laughs> Stadium during Fernando Mania in 1981, oh, wow. which was yeah, I know it was an experience. Just happened to be again. Thanks, mom. Ballpark tour, just a fluke. Of the you get. If you hit certain places at certain times, my trip to Kansas City when I was, I don't know, 14, whenever I was, in Kansas City at what's now Coffin Stadium, we call it Royal Stadium back when I was a mm-hmm. kid, I saw in 1985, in what would become their World Series winning season, I saw Brett Saberhagen pitch against Tom Seaver. Oh, wow. The White Sox. Right. It's just that kind of cool stuff. And you yeah. get old enough. And now, to me, that sounded like when generation performance i saw duke snyder play in center field and i'm like well that's cool but you're you're old um, <laughs> but i get it I, I i kind of you know i accept it all to be the case but i mean so i meet fernando that's cool i'm starting to go back to the seats uh i got friends who I went to the game with and i'm leaving the press box and the door to the dodger tv booth was open and i thought briefly about what is the correct proper thing to do and what would <laughs> The and so I and, yeah, and what's I the memory I, thing to do? <laughs> what's the memory? So I kind of snuck and it the part it was sort of elevated when you go in. You'd have to go up a couple of stairs to go back down. So I just sort of stood in the doorway, 
So one day I could say, say on a podcast like this, that I listened to Vin Scully call an inning of a Dodger game. That's awesome. Um, because I wanted to do it. So, yeah, I have a – it's not something I talk about much because who really cares, but I have a great interest in the history of my profession. I've got a lot of books. You know, I have the Red Barber books and the Graham mm-hmm. McNamee books and, the you know, the from the sort of the origin of play-by-play because that's my – that's my thing. That that was until my son was born. That that was my life. Well, I care. I imagine our listeners care. I know they also care about the Celtics. So I guess after about fifteen minutes or whatever it's been, we should probably talk about the team a little bit. And uh, well, I'll I'll ask you this: Have are you are you a superstitious person? Um, within the context of my broadcast, yes. Not generally in life, but I'm a which is irrational in many ways, but it makes me feel better. So <laughs> I would say, compared to most, I would say yes. So this, well, this is a broadcast. It's not your broadcast, so it's probably nothing for you to be superstitious about. But just in case, I, I wanted to bring that up because uh, it occurred to me as I was starting to think about this show and stuff that I wanted to ask you that you were on the show right after the schedule came out last summer. I remember that. And, yeah. and we broke everything down in great detail. And, well, the season kind of went to hell. And so <laughs> I'm hoping this is not setting us up for that same thing. No, and I think what I said, it's really, and I did this, you know, I was on with with Bill Simmons the day after. I did his podcast the day after the season was over. And what I said then, because I remembered, I think I remembered emailing you at one point when I came across last year, Mm -hmm. but I thought we were pretty, we nailed it pretty good. I mean, it wasn't, I thought expectations were way too high. I thought it was going to be an on-paper disappointing season. I thought they would win. I certainly didn't think it was going to be 49 wins. I thought they'd win about the same number of games they'd won the year before with a better scoring differential. Because people forget that you know the, the 16 game winning streak that started the year after the 0 and 2 in 17 18, that you don't want to pull any threads on that because that thing comes apart. The number of games the Celtics came back and were lucky. No, lucky mm-hmm. is the wrong word, but they were very fortunate during that run of games to win. They were facing teams that had specific guys out. They were facing teams at the right point of the season. It was just one of those things that everything went right. So I thought they were headed for a year in which those kind of things would go against them. And so I say today, in the middle of August, what I said on the 9th of May, which is that the first part of the season did not surprise me at all. All because the schedule was brutal, which people mm-hmm. didn't realize because people don't really weren't really thinking who the good teams would be. And when you had a road trip at the start of last year, where you were going to Indiana, Denver, Utah, and Portland with Phoenix in the middle, and that game was almost a disaster. That on paper to me that looked like, and it started with a home game against Milwaukee before that. So that six game stretch to me looked like real trouble at the start of the year for a team that was going to be sort of new with Gordon coming back and everyone sort of figuring out their roles and Kyrie coming back. So the 10-10 and 10 start did not surprise me. The, what was it, 25-9 and nine after that when they were arguably the best team in the NBA. Everyone forgets that. Mm-hmm. But they were arguably the best team in the NBA from Thanksgiving till early February. That did not surprise me. What surprised me about last year was the end of the regular season. When now, with our... 2020 with everything it's not even 2020 it's just having the distance like you had a hunch things were going wrong at that time but now everything just becomes more clear with distance what were the things that we now know were wrong that's when it really to me festered even during the time they were dominating dominating you know winning big games on the road they had the biggest road win in nba history the 25 and 9 outscoring teams by 9 or 10 a game even during that run what do you remember from it you remember Kyrie sort of barking at Brad Mm -hmm. at the end of the game in Orlando, Jalen Brown and Marcus Morris, Kyrie having that news conference in Brooklyn the day he wasn't even playing. I'm not even getting to the big one in February, which I think changed everything. But you remember sort of negative things, even when they were playing well, which says to me that people were going to be negative about last year's team anyway, that we look at it now, everybody thinks of last year as this epic disaster, and that's how it's always going to be remembered, right? Mm -hmm. This terrible, horrible year. They were the fifth or sixth best team in the league, were in the final eight, and handed Milwaukee their worst loss of the year, worst home loss of the year, in game one of the playoffs. So I get asked the question, how come they didn't make a move at the deadline? How come they didn't do this? Because the seeds of it turning around were there like every other night. It wasn't just consistently. They were so talented that they could still turn it around at any point. And they got to remember, this is a team that won their first five playoff games. Right. 
they were the they were the best team for the first two weeks of the playoffs. Also, in addition to everything else, so while certainly the 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 poison was there that it wasn't going to work in the big picture, that's a lot easier to see now than it was then when there were still so many opportunities for them to turn it around. Uh, you know, they went out to Golden State and beat the Warriors by about eighty. <laughs> you know, on the first game of that road trip. And yet the other half of that story is everybody wrote huge there were huge stories, right, about the the plane flight. Right. The flight across country. Kyrie brought everybody together on this flight across country. I've said this now because I, I think it's a thing. Have you read this anywhere? Have you ever seen anywhere the fact that Kyrie did not fly back with us after the trip a week later? Um Maybe, maybe once, but not not at that it time. May, I obviously, think Jack, uh, Jackie may have. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was included uh, in Jackie's Jackie have, piece at well, the end of the year. Here's my point. So you, there were a hundred stories about Kyrie bringing everybody together and the team is all together and kumbaya because they on this plane flight because that's such a bonding experience to the West Coast. And I kind of I thought it was a little silly and overplayed, but whatever. That's the narrative. <laughs> and a week later, he's not even on the flight. Which I'm not. That's not a criticism of Kyrie. That's saying that people just overreacted to that Mm -hmm. those couple of hours as people do but it it was you know it was i think i said i don't remember now the final people come up to me and said man i love you and max the last 10 minutes of the game the the game five was over oh yeah you know in the final quarter so (laughs) i remember max and i just essentially doing a talk show you know we were just sort of talking it was almost therapeutic i think for fans (laughs) what we did over the final half hour of that game just talking through the season but um, I think as it you know as it ended, I think I said it was you know uncomfortable from the start. I think I called it a market correction, because the downside of overachieving for four straight years is that the expectation level they underperformed. There's no question about that, but the expectations were also too high, mm-hmm. way too high at the start of the year. So that is a lethal combination. And had they done what I thought they would do, which is win 55 games and have the fifth-best differential and maybe be the third or fourth-best team in the league, that would have been looked on negatively. Like, Because that would not have met these 60-win, 2008 expectations of this team that was starting a guy that couldn't walk a few months earlier and building around guys who were on their rookie contract in the NBA, which is not where success comes from. Well, let's talk about uh, this coming year because there's much with this schedule and, and because I know that we could do last year's stuff for hours on end and, and still probably not feel satisfied. But uh, And I'll, I'll ramble for a minute here with just some of the highlights of the schedule. So it's obviously out, as people know, for the 1920 campaign. It is, similarly to last year, tough out of the gate. Three out of the first four games against the Sixers, Raptors, Bucks. Obviously, Toronto doesn't have Kawhi Leonard anymore, but... Still defending champs, this is a playoff roster. Boston will tip the season against Al Horford in Philadelphia October 23rd. That's the very first game, home opener with Toronto's two nights later. Kyrie Irving's scheduled I scheduled to make his return uh, the day before Thanksgiving. As we know, he didn't often go back to Cleveland, so we don't guarantee he comes back to the Garden right away, although you hope he will. Kemba Walker's first game back in Charlotte will be earlier in November. Seas will play Christmas Day again, so... Hopefully you didn't have any uh, special plans. That'll be the 33rd time that's happened. It'll be against the Raptors overall the competition. At least it's the early game. Yeah, at least it's the early game. And, you know, uh, which is tough getting up that morning, but at least you're home by, you know, that's, that's part of the gig, right? Yeah. Like you lose Christmas if you're on a good team. But I think the, the traveling party will probably be back in Boston by 5 o'clock. And so it's not the end. You're, I think they're home. I think we're home for the next four or five days after that. So yeah, so that'll be good, and uh, you know, get home in time for dinner. And overall, the competition pretty light in December. That's not the case though in the next couple months. You got some of the toughest teams, very changed clubs from the West: the Lakers, Clippers, Warriors, Rockets. They're all going to visit the Garden in January and February. Uh, most games of the schedule in, in a given month: January 16, the fewest in February with a dozen. It's going to be very strange seeing the Lakers come in with LeBron James, Anthony Davis after the years-long chase. Of course, you have Rajon Rondo there. Avery Bradley is now there. 25, you pointed this out on uh, on Twitter, I think, 25 nationally televised games for the Celtics, which is the most in the Eastern Conference. The Lakers lead the league at 31. There are also a dozen back-to-back. So those are the highlights. It's going to be a grind. We know that. And uh, you're going to be on the road a ton, more than most in, in terms of actual travel. Boston's traveling the fifth most miles in the league, the most in the Eastern Conference. How much of a toll does that take? Well, it's interesting. I mean, that miles thing, that has to do with there being weird 
games on certain trips. Like we're going to San Antonio from Charlotte, which doesn't like Cleveland, Charlotte, San Antonio is not a very efficient. Uh, they've done, they've made a lot of improvements on the schedule. Two years ago, this is still to me the most amazing thing I've ever seen in doing this 20 years. When they first changed the model of the schedule two years ago, the Celtics played, there are six teams in a certain geographic area in the country. There's the three Texas teams. Mm. There's Memphis, New Orleans, and Oklahoma City. Two years ago, the Celtics played those six teams, played those six road games on six different trips, which uh, you couldn't do that if you tried. <laughs> I mean, that was like this year. I think there's one. Here's how you add up. Uh, here's how you get extra air miles. The Celtics have a trip, I think, in the middle of the year. You may have it in front of you. I don't. Where they we're going to be in Orlando and Miami, but in between we go to maybe New Orleans. So that's where extra miles come from. I don't think the miles is that big a deal. It's how it's where the games are. Are they close together? Are they back to back games? Are they, you know, you have time to sort of chill. I don't think the Celtics actually are on the road as much as they've been there. There's been a couple of stretches the last couple of years where there have been like a couple of days in between games on the road. I don't think that happens at all. That's good. Which is, you know, the, the road trips are like, you know, four games in six days the way that they, the way they used to be, which was, that was sort of a big complaint the number of days on the road was not going down when they changed the school and they spread the schedule out because in the old days you'd play four games and five nights on the road. And now you were still doing a four game trip, but it was taking seven or eight days to play. Hmm. And most people, I think even players, you know, it's a lot of games and it's wear and tear, but most people want to get home. You know, you just don't want to sit on the road, sit in a hotel for a couple of days on the road. So I think they've improved the schedule that way. I started in Minnesota and Minnesota annually used to fly the most miles of anybody in the league because they were the easternmost team in the Western Conference. Mm. And the closest divisional game in Minnesota is in Denver. Mm. So it's like an hour and a half flight where the Celtics have, to, you know, all their division teams are less than that. So there was always a, you know, a miles thing that way. I don't think it's that, it's that big a deal. I don't think the miles are the issue. I think the fact that uh, – uh, Kyrie Kemba being what it is, like the fact the issue for the facing the Celtics here, particularly at the start of the year as they figure this out, is not having Al Horford, Aaron Baines, Marcus Morris, and Terry Rozier, and replacing them with a bunch of we just don't know yet. And I think probably just and and you can ignore Miles, but it's a tough schedule out of the gate being on the road. It is. Uh, the, you just got, like last year, it's same as right. it's, it's, it's virtually identical. The first week is bizarro from last year because it's the exact same teams on the exact same dates. It's just oh, reversed. Geez. The Philly and Toronto games are reversed as far as home and away. But it was Sixers, Raptors, Knicks. Sixers, Raptors at New York was the first three games last year, and there was a lot of there were a lot of road games in November, so including a West Coast trip. So that schedule is very similar in its structure. To last year, and uh, you know you'd rather have the tough stuff at the uh, at the start. That's why that's how teams get under the radar. That's how Utah the last couple of years has been under the radar because they had a really tough schedule to start, and then everybody forgot about them in the Western Conference, and then they turn around, they get all those home games, and they get the rotations together, and they make their run. The West is is just scary deep right now. Yeah. It's just there are just no there's just no easy outs out there. Oklahoma City and Phoenix maybe. One quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you in part by BetOnline.ag. Basketball's of course in its dead zone. Doesn't mean you can't win money on the NBA or college though. Both seasons have title odds already. Clippers and Lakers they lead the pack. Must be an LA thing. Plus three fifty for the Clips. Plus four hundred for the Lake Show. Celtics distant plus 1600 to win the title they do have the third best odds in the eastern conference if that's something you're into something to think about but overall obviously it's a little rough especially compared to what we thought was going to happen last year more realistically plus 300 to win the division so you could take a look at the atlantic and have some real confidence helps that Kawhi leonard no longer with the raptors we know that and while baseball season is in full swing placing a wager on baseball's never been easier with the best odds at betonline.ag this week you can keep an eye on the indians the mets both looking to sneak into the playoffs indians they're going to be there either way i would say either atop the central despite losing two out of three to the red Sox, or of course they will be at the top of the wild card standings but i'd expect them in the mets fascinating turnaround from where they were either way 
you got options. But wait, can you believe that NFL preseason is underway? To celebrate another season kickoff, betonline.ag and CLNS Media are giving you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Head over to betonline.ag, use your mobile device to join today, or you could use promo code CLNS50 to receive your welcome bonus. It's all just part of the way you can make this happen. So don't sit on the sidelines this football season. Get into all the action with betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Minimum $55 deposit required. Please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions. Let's get back to the show. Ten of the first 16 are on the road. Features Philly, San Antonio, the Clippers, Sacramento, Phoenix, Denver. So there is some tough competition in there and uh, obviously an insanely important stretch. But like you said, maybe it's beneficial because at the end, Boston's home 14 out of the last 23. So that, you know, may be something that benefits them at the end. But uh, how important is it to get off to a good start? Not just in terms of the standings, that goes without saying, but to put last year's turmoil behind them, because you mentioned it, you know, the 10 and 10 start last year. So much of that, not just starting 10 and 10, but a lot of the seeds were planted of of the turmoil that followed throughout the season. I think it's defined good start. I mean, because again, if this team is ten and ten, that's the now now the reverse happens. Because if this team and a lot of people feel if things go well, they have a chance to match or even improve on last year in terms of the regular season. So that's the upside. Just like last year the expectations were so crazy high. If this team starts matching last year's team, that's gonna be a pot like look at what they've done. Look, they're mad with all these guys replaced and all these young guys. Whenever they're matching last year, that's going to be a that's going to be a good thing. I think one of the things that's going to make it the perception of it is going to be affected by Milwaukee, Philadelphia, you know, Indiana as a dark horse. Is one of those teams get off to a thirteen and two start, and do Philadelphia and Milwaukee both hit the ground running? And that's the you know we're talking now. If you're listening to this podcast in February. In mid-August, it looked like Philadelphia and Milwaukee were going to be the teams and run away with it. It never works out the way we think it's going to in mid-August. Never. <laughs> but that's the way it looks right now. Maybe a different team is in there, and the Celtics are at 10-10, and 10, are five or six games off the pace. So who knows? You know what? That, so the perception of it, my point, is that it's going to change based on do some of the other teams get off to a great start or not. What if Philadelphia is 10-10? and 10? You know, Is there going to be pressure on Brett Brown? With Kyrie Irving, his first return, like I said, it's uh, November 27th as a net. Uh, so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, he didn't always go back to Cleveland. So, uh, first off, do you think he'll play? And then second no. to that, nope. you don't think he'll play I right off the hop? You know what? Here's why, here's why I think he would play. It, again, my mid-August thing now is that I was saying on July 1st that there's no chance he plays in that game. None. <laughs> but knowing Kyrie a little bit, I think the stubborn – because everybody is saying he'll find a way out of it, maybe he does – you know, he goes the other right, way. Right, goes the other way. Kind of, that's, that's my thought. Because he played – there were six games or seven. There were seven games in Cleveland during his two years here. He played in the first one and never played in, again mm-hmm. in the final. And obviously he was hurt the next three, but he didn't play – we played three games. We had three, took three trips to Cleveland last year including the preseason, and he did not go on any of them. He literally has not. He played the one game in Cleveland, which was fanfare, and that was the Gordon Hayward game. And mm-hmm. there wasn't even – there was drama. Here's forgotten part of history. The drama that night was how are fans going to react to the Kyrie tribute video, <laughs> which, they were, which they were going to do and didn't do it because of the Hayward injury. Yeah. So yeah, never, you know, we talked that. here about Isaiah. It took almost two years to get the Isaiah video here. There has never been a Kyrie video That's in Cleveland. That's a good point. It'd be interesting to see if they do one when he goes back with the Nets. But I'll say, without going down the Kyrie rabbit hole, and let's not, I will say this. Kyrie, at some level, this is going to sound strange, but I promise you it's true. At some level, is going to be legitimately baffled by the the amount of vitriol and ill will towards him here. Because he's just so disconnected in some ways from the way that most people think. I don't think it really hits home with him how angry people were at him, not just for leaving, but for things that happened before. I think people would gladly have traded. I mean, if you said you were getting Kemba Walker for Kyrie in April or May. Heartbeat. I mean, it was, I I told this story a lot, but I, I live about a mile from the garden, so I walk home. And people were so mad at Kyrie after game three and four 
They were so mad at Kyrie. They were mad at me. Like they, <laughs> I, they were yelling at me from their cars. The Leverett Circle, you get like that. People get stopped, right? Because yeah. there's so many people coming from the game, and they've got to move the traffic. So people are just sitting there with their cars, and they're listening to the post game on the radio, or whatever. And they've got the windows down. Grandy, get them out of here! Like, uh, yeah, okay, let me get right on that. <laughs> let me just let me text Danny right now. Uh, but the, this is how much anger there was towards him, and I just think that in his the internet is not real, Earth is flat. What does government mean to you? Alternate universe in which he exists and that is not a criticism seems like a happy it seems like a better place to be in a lot of ways than the world the rest of us live in i don't think he genuinely i think he thinks oh i went there yeah it didn't work out the way i wanted to but i just i really always just wanted to be home and this is part of my journey i don't think he realizes i don't think he has a con- lebron knew lebron knew what was yeah. coming because he's ta- he gets it he knew what was coming in cleveland i don't think Kyrie. i think he'll realize it as the days ramp up and the globe and the herald and people and and they start sending the Celtic beat writers to cover the nets in the days leading up to the game. And they start asking him all these questions. Well, he's hell, he hasn't even had to deal it. with the introductory press conference yet. Right. And by the way, I think we all know Kyrie's going to be on his best behavior this year because it's a low expectation year without Durant. And Kyrie was beloved here for you. I'd remind people, not mm-hmm. just that he said he was going to stay. What was the reaction when he said he was going to stay? This is the next great Celtic. One of the things that will be forgotten, while well, Kyrie was here for two years and it was a met. No, it only was for the last couple of months. The biggest fear a Celtic fan had in October, no, or well, obviously it went away in October, but last summer, the biggest fear a Celtic fan had going into last year and in the early part of last year was that Kyrie was going to leave. Mm-hmm. And on May 8th, the biggest fear is that he wasn't. <laughs> which again was a misconception because it was not a good thing for the you know the franchise because as we now know with the Horford stuff as I was trying to explain back then it was not a good thing for the Celtics not to be in control of his contract because you weren't going to be able to do the things you wanted to do and the out thing I mean people were so mad at Kyrie here's the thing people were so furious at Kyrie and so angry that I believe Al Horford, who I could not have any more respect for and couldn't have loved his time here anymore, I think Al's getting a free pass. I was just going to say that. I, I've said there's a – again, I'm going to go back to really old movie kids. Google it. Uh, but when I was a kid, there was a movie called Night Shift with Henry Winkler and, and Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. It's, a great, it's a brilliant movie, but yeah, again, very Keaton's old. First. I'm not pushing old movies on young people. Yeah, his first – his breakout role. Yeah. And in it – it's a, it's a, it doesn't sound like it's funny, but it is. It's about two guys that end up like running a brothel out of, out of a morgue. And organized crime is involved <laughs> in it and not too happy about it. And at one point, they finally get to Henry Winkler, and they put a gun to his head, and they said, it wouldn't be right to let you live after we killed you know, the other guy before you. He was our friend. And I, all I could think of that line was Ray Allen yep. got destroyed when he came back to the garden, and he was as beloved as you could possibly be. And this is just – this is a – there are a lot of similarities here between, obviously, in Al's case, it was more money. In Ray's case, it wasn't. But this is a player leaving the Celtics to join the conference favorite. And I'm not blaming either one of them for doing it. But my feeling is that Al's going to get sort of a hero's welcome, which is great, whereas Ray got destroyed when he came back. And I just think a Every lot of that, time. I think there's a Kyrie factor in that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I absolutely agree. I was I was going to bring that up next because there were there were a segment of people people understood he was going to leave when all the reports were out there about him getting paid and and understanding the Celtics weren't going to go there and and obviously there were just some people that never appreciated Al and thought he was overpaid even when he was here and I'm I'm like you I was a you know big supporter of him but. There were people that that tweeted at me after he joined the Sixers and made those Ray Allen comparisons, and you know it's the the whole thing. We won't do we won't go down this rabbit hole because the the whole rest of the show will will go to hell. But the uh, I've been harping on this for years. It's it's Ray and Doc uh, all over again in a lot of different ways. The hypocrisy of their departures and the way that Ray yeah. always and continues to be blasted for the way he left here, whereas Doc. Anytime that he returns, it's it's the god that won this team a championship is still to this day beyond my comprehension. And and listen, I mean, listen to these fifteen seconds. I think that Ray, you know, first of all, the '08 team may have been one of the greatest on the floor in NBA history, and certainly were, and legend will be written. But they literally, as men, cannot get their act together now to the point where there was on the books at one point a ten-year reunion mm-hmm. that the Celtics wanted to do. Not a chance, because these guys aren't there yet, because they're still so fractured in all of their different ways. So that's going to be a, you know, a plot line 
going forward. But I thought Ray, I thought the Paul Pierce night was a perfect opportunity for Ray to come back. Bury the hatchet. That, to me, was the – because he would have come back. Everybody would have cheered him because it was Paul's day, and I think it would have been a great step forward. But what made them so great, what made these guys so great, and the stubborn nature of them that they would not lose is playing into the fact that they can't cannot 11 now, 12 years later, you know, pull it together to get this eventual reunion done. But, I, I you know, I, I think there's – there's certainly fairness in that. And, like, Al, like, what do you deserve? I, who cares? I think it's going to be great that Al gets a big obey. He deserves it. He was, as you know, you know, I was on that bandwagon from the beginning. I thought he was unappreciated when he was here. It's funny that it took him leaving, I think, for people <laughs> to really appreciate what he did. But it was, you know, it was certainly disappointing. You know, hopefully hopefully Anna sticks around. And yeah, that would at least them. she'll stick around on Twitter. We know that. And at one point, it was, an, it was an accidental haiku, but as it was going on, I tweeted – and it just it ended up it was not intended to be a haiku, but when I as the, there was some drama about whether or not he was going to stay, I think I tweeted at one point, Al's going to do what Al's going to do, but if Anna opts out, we riot. <laughs> you know, and I, that was I think how we felt. It was it was disappointing. That to me was disappointing. Yeah. That he made that choice, but again, what this was, if you're a Celtic fan old enough to remember 08, this was James Posey writ large. You know, mm. Al Horford, a much bigger part of this team than mm. James Posey was in 08. But James Posey was a significant player, and that was the first time you were dealing with that situation of, well, you can't break this team up. You can't let yeah. a key player leave. God, that was crushing when Well, he you can if you're going to be in his third and fourth year of his contract, be paying him outrageous money when you have to pay Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And, you know, is Al Horford going to be a $30 million? Maybe he will. But is Al Horford going to be a $30 million player, a max contract player in 2023? Yeah, he won't. I mean, we could, we could curb it and be polite, but he won't. I mean, won't. that's – so you have to make these decisions are not tough. And that's, you know, again, we remind uh, – the annual reminder that Danny Ainge came of age as an executive in the closing stages of his playing career, watching Red Auerbach let the Celtics get old. And the mm-hmm. 80s into 90s Celtics and the 80s into 90s New York Islanders remain the prototypical examples of what happens when you let a great team – get old and don't sell it for parts that it's the sentimental thing to do but sam perkins and detlef shrimp those mm-hmm. names to celtic fans 30 years ago mean something and that's what you could have had if you had broken up if you traded kevin McHale, if you had done these things but teams get old and uh, danny is never gonna let that happen the irony is he almost did and then thankfully billy king and mikhail prokhorov came knocking on the door at the right time because i think danny was I've always believed this. Danny and I have never had many, many, many conversations over the years. This is never one of them, so this is just me speculating. That mm-hmm. I think there was part of him that thought he may have waited too long in 2013 to make that move. You know, how many times did he almost trade Ray, mm-hmm. which was Ray's justification for leaving. Absolutely. And it's fair. It's fair. Um, did he let the team get too old? I mean, 2013, sort of forgotten year in Celtics history, the Celtics weren't really a basketball team. They were more like a basketball museum. It was like, come see Ray Allen and Paul Pierce in their natural state. You know, they were not a threat <laughs> in 2013, especially when Rondo, you know, when Rondo got hurt. They had that short-term bump when he got hurt, but they were not going to do any real damage in the playoffs, and it just didn't seem – it seemed like the window to make the moves was gone. And, again, the Nets trade – you know, how is history going to record the Nets trade now that Kyrie and Durant have ended up landing there and – you know, all the moves, of it's, it's fascinating, but how those, those two franchises are going to be tied together. We agree that uh, Kyrie Irving will get booed mercilessly and Al Horford will get thunderous applause. How about, yeah. how about though, late December when Terry Rozier comes back? A guy well, that... he's coming back. Well, assuming he plays, he's going to be the first game. Charlotte is here. Oh, it's true. Yeah, yeah he'll be back earlier. Game. So it'll be interesting to see if he plays in that game. What's interesting is that the only Kemba only goes to Charlotte once. Right. It's a fluke of that schedule, but it's it, the Celtics only go to Charlotte once, and it's extremely early in the year. It's like the sixth or seventh game, and the Celtics only go to Detroit once, and it's game eighty-one. So the Celtics don't go mm-hmm. to Detroit until the final couple of days of the season. But uh, the Rozier one is interesting. I think the Rozier thing will be mixed, and it probably should be because you have the ultimate scary Terry group from 2018 and you've got you know his disappointing year last year and I think he was he was made a hero and he was villainized later because he is outspoken and people love it when you're outspoken when things are going well and they don't Mm -hmm. love it when you're outspoken when things aren't going well so Terry was Terry the same way by the way everybody Kyrie you know Kyrie was the two years he was here he was Kyrie Mm -hmm. 
Same duty has always been. And a lot of the Kyrie Irving experience. And, you know, we all want to move on from it. I think, I'll tell you something I think is coming. There's going to be a frustration because some of what we've been doing here, which Max and I started on May 8th in the second half of that game, that sort of therapy about last year, I don't think fans have gotten through it. And I think you're going to get, on the opening day of training camp, what you're going to get from Brad and for is, hey, it's a new year, let's move on, whatever. But I don't think that has been satisfied, which is why I think it's going to make the Kyrie return even bigger. I don't think people have gotten their frustration out from last year, and nobody within the organization, is, and rightly so, is going to want to have anything to do with it when we get to September 30th. Well, it's, it's like Brad be... said recently, you know, when he was talking to NBC Sports Boston and said that, you know, and everyone's still harping about last year's dysfunction. We turned the page a long time ago. Right. And, and within the organization, you do turn the page, but fans haven't, because fans haven't gotten their money's worth <laughs> off what happened uh, last year. So I think those individual nights are going to be made are going to be bigger because of that. And I think, you know, Terry might get some of that. And listen, I, I, I'm very happy for Terry. I really love the dude. You know, I was a big Terry Rozier. I got, that's the only time Celtic fans I think have ever turned on me in my 19 years was when I tweeted positively about that draft pick and I got killed that (laughs) night. People hated that pick so much. So, you know, Terry, look, we're all human beings. And there was some element of told you so for me, you know, when Terry became the player he became, particularly in 2018, that I, I really thought he could play. Would I have given him <laughs> that much money? Not a chance. That, you know, Charlotte didn't want to pay Kemba Walker, just pay Terry. I don't, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm happy he's going he's gonna to get his chance. Because I also felt all along he was unhappy with playing time in the situation, whereas this is the NBA. People know you can play. It doesn't matter how many minutes you get. But that's a really hard thing to tell a young player on his rookie contract. And, again, that ties into one of the fundamental flaws of last year's team, of this, of this group, is that – the Golden State example, yeah, you got Steph Curry and you have Kevin Durant. It's a great team. But championship teams have not role players, not 9, 10 on the roster. I'm talking about 5, 6, 7, those guys on the roster. Key players that you need to win, rotation players. And who are the guys Golden State has used over the last few years in that spot? Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, Andrew Bogut, Zaza Pachulia. Are those guys A, on their rookie contracts, trying to prove they have a place in the league and get paid, or are they, B, veterans who have already proven they can be the best player on a bad team, they've already made their money, and now they want to win, and they're in the second half of their career. Right. That's what those got James Posey, Eddie House, those guys, and the Celtics were trying to do this by, because of circumstances with high-level talented guys on their first contract who just had everybody in the world that they know tell them all summer in 2018 how great they are. And it's human nature at 21, 22, 23, when people tell you how great you are, to believe them and to think you should be playing more. And so there were so many – it's just too easy. The Kyrie thing is just too easy to me. And no. there were so many elements of, of last year. And that's why you have sort of the anti-rookie group, right? Now you have rookies who have desperately want to prove they can play, and they'll do anything. And as you said with Grant Williams, put me in, coach. Like, you know, you don't have to know the kid yet to know he's going to be bringing the coffee and the donuts, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what – you can't ask Terry Rozier, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown to bring you to within five minutes of the NBA Finals and then to bring the donuts the next year. No, in a lot of ways, and I talked about this too often last year, but uh, and I wouldn't have seen it coming by any means going into the season, but one of the worst things that could have happened to that team – last year was that team's run the previous season it just you yeah. know if they if they had gone out in the first round didn't look so great they enter last year with a totally different attitude but you know the uh, unfortunately it was all look at what we did last year and now we're adding Kyrie Irving Gordon Hayward and expectations and internal cockiness and everything obviously through the roof and again there will be I don't know if there'll be a book written about it but it will History will let it be what it's going to be. Um, I just think that – I think I found myself – I'm not, not in any way defending Kyrie, but I think that there was a time period in March and April when particularly for someone connected to the organization, I was probably the most critical person of Kyrie there was out there. And my opinion hasn't really changed. I think the things that are – you can be critical of him are fair, and the things where you praise him are fair. And at the time, that made me someone who was critical of Kyrie around here. Now everybody has kind of rushed – past me so now it sounds like i'm being softer on him in the whole thing than everybody was just my opinion hasn't changed just everybody else once they realized he wasn't staying just completely let all their all their anger out 
towards him. And and I get it. I just think that we expected him, in fairness, a lot of it because he said, I want to be the guy and I want to be the – we expected him to be something different than he was. And Kyrie was – talk to anybody in the Cavaliers organization about Kyrie Irving, and they'll tell you the Celtics the last two years got exactly – what he was which was the biggest exactly. fear going into that trade in for some me. Way, but he all i mean you know we forget he was having until the last couple of months he was having an all nba year mm-hmm. he did amazing things on the court he's an extremely talented player and i think the lesson of it and we're going to find this out when kevin durant gets back and that could be the greatest thing ever or it could be the biggest disaster of two stars together if i'm banking on the latter and that, that I think, would, is the popular choice right now. I also point out, I would say two things. One, this is more of a defensive, not a defensive Kyrie, but it's pointing out something interesting. Celtic fans of a certain age, remember, Paul Pierce was not a, Paul Pierce's reputation was not good in the league, right, in mm-hmm. his early years. He had the bad thing with George Carl in 2004. 2005, he has the meltdown in the playoffs. He gets ejected from the game. He has the Jacob Marley headband around him, right, doing that postgame conference, pretending he got hit in the mouth. Not shining moments. He had the bad thing with Doc Rivers that first year. They didn't get along. Paul Pierce was older that year than Kyrie was last year. Ponder that. Like when we think about, you know, Kyrie was trying to, Kyrie was still a young guy. Maybe mm-hmm. he's, you know, I think he probably is what he is, but it doesn't mean he's done growing and done evolving and, and all these things. I just think we don't, Kyrie was Kyrie. And I think the lesson, as I said, of the last two years was you can have the mercurially talented flake who talks about the internet not being real and what does government mean to you and the earth is flat. <laughs> if that, if you have an alpha, LeBron James, Kevin Garnett, whatever, if you have an alpha, you can have that guy be your second best player and you can not only do well, you can win a championship because we've seen it. But when the fungus on your shower shoes, Nuke Lelouch guy <laughs> is your best, pl- you know, is your the go-to guy, you got a problem. It doesn't work. And then add to that, and this is through not, no fault of their own whatsoever. It just had to do with the mix. People say, well, what about where was Al Horford, where was Brad Stevens to be Kevin Garnett and Doc Rivers, you know, with Kyrie? And the answer is they're not Kevin Garnett and Doc Rivers. Al was Al and Brad was Brad. And you didn't have the right guy to even out to, on the seesaw with Kyrie. That wasn't Al's thing, Right. Al mm-hmm. is not a grab-you-by-the-collar, put-you-up-against-the-wall leader. He's a lead-by-example, and that's not, that's not taking down Al. That's, like you, that's who he is. Mm-hmm. I've often no, he never claimed to be anything movies, different. It's casting. Acting is great, right? But casting is what makes a movie. And writing. Well, always the writing. <laughs> Let's Just talk like about play some. Play by play makes a team. Right? Well, yeah, exactly. Let's talk about some of these guys here that uh, that are here. Of course, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. These guys have all bonded during Team USA's training camp to this point. Kemba told uh, ESPN he loves these guys. Some good dudes right there. You know, I already had a chance to uh, spend time with with JT. Me and Jalen spent some time a few years ago in Africa, so we already knew each other a little bit. But Smart, they just easy guys to get along with i'm an easy guy to get along with so yeah it's been like we knew each other for a while at this point but you know we're getting comfortable i'm getting comfortable for the most part each and every day with those guys poor gordon hayward left out in the cold while all these guys are getting to know one another but uh are are you buying in i don't don't think anybody wants gordon playing extra basketball no 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 we don't nobody wants yeah if he just wants to be there hanging out getting to know these guys going to dinners that would be great i just don't want him on the floor but are you are you buying in on on all this chemistry talk in recent weeks and everyone fawning all over one another as they did going into last season by the way or you know it it, like that's it to me i feel like that is something that's getting ignored right now like all the stuff that we're hearing right now is what we heard last year wait till you read the stories about how Kyrie is getting along with the young guys so well in brooklyn and training Mm -hmm. camp and early in the year that's the way of it listen everybody's 82 and 0 it should be that way that said try to find someone has anyone ever said anything like try to find we were in denial about Kyrie, personality wise behaviorally that information was there if you wanted it. All you had to do was talk to anybody in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Try to find someone to say anything bad about Kemba Walker, that he isn't this guy. Because he is. He clearly is. He's been in the league a long time, and he is as beloved universally by the other players and respected as anybody. There isn't this, oh, yeah, he's a great talent, but you don't get that with Kyrie. So I think a lot of this is legit. And I think Kemba Walker is smart enough to know that, while well, he's going to take a lot of big shots. And he's going to make a lot of big plays for the Celtics over the next couple of years. This is going to be about 
whether Jason Tatum offensively and Jalen Brown defensively become all-star go-to guys in the league. And he knows that. And he is probably a better guy than Kyrie to help them get there. With Walker, Tatum, Brown, Smart, all, like I said, in Team USA camp, it's not at all far-fetched to believe that all four will make the roster. As of right now, in fact, as, as we chat, there are only 15 guys still in camp, so it's very possible. And if they do, it's off to China for the World Cup tournament. For those guys individually, we know it would be a thrill. Brad has talked about how great it is, and, and he was out there observing for a, a day or two. But would it be a good thing for Boston? Does you know? Do the Celtics, you know, hooked up to a lie detector, would Danny Ainge want all of these guys playing competitive basketball at this stage leading right into training camp and into the season when when everyone is, you know, on, on the plus side, they're getting to know each other and getting to know each other's tendencies and playing together and all of that and bonding like we talked about. But the flip side is, obviously, there's there's some early wear and tear there. I think that's I think it's fair. I think maybe you'd like it to be a little earlier in the summer, but that's the way it goes. And this will be a story if the Celtics struggle, right? In out of the gate, we go. Oh, maybe they played too much basketball. First of all, Marcus Smart's already banged up, so he's not right. playing a lot. I don't tend to worry about the minutes, particularly the international basketball experience, Team USA experience, for ninety to ninety-five percent of the players throughout the twenty-year history of it or whatever has been good. You know, it's been a positive experience. You become better. Uh, it helps. It, it tends to help guys in the league. It's supposed to hurt. You know, there's a few guys whose maybe reputation has been hurt. Obviously, the Paul George injury, but for the most part, it's generally been a positive thing. So, I think being around Greg Popovich is a good thing. Being around Steve Kerr is a good thing. I think it. You know, it, it helps for young players, especially whose you know whose basketball minds aren't aren't fully formed yet, perhaps who are still learning and have that thirst to learn and get better. So, I think while I think that's a fair thing to bring up, I think the positives significantly outweigh the negatives of them all being together right now. One potential huge positive, and and I saw Marcus Smart say something about this in an article, I think, on NBA.com, that whereas such a big problem last year, and this was, we talked about it already, the makeup of the roster and the ages of these guys and how to prove themselves and rookie contracts and all of that, there, there wasn't that buy-in, that sacrifice that you saw on, say, the 08 Celtics when everyone had a place, had a role, had established themselves, everything that you already said. Smart made the comment that with Team USA, with international basketball, it can kind of put you in your place. You know, you have all these guys that, that are stars of their respective teams, and now they need to fit in with this roster and all the different things that come with that. Is it, especially if all four of these guys do make this team— can some of them learn a little bit more about that sacrifice from this experience going into this season with Boston since it, you know, there's there's no reason to believe it couldn't be the same type of issue this year that it was last year with just a, a couple fewer mouths to feed. And I think that's fair. One of the sort of, I don't want to say overlooked things is that the, the log jam at the wing spot didn't really get, I mean, you still have, you know, you still have Tatum and Brown and Hayward. Right, you know, all together that in theory you could argue play the same position. It's not this is positionless basketball and this and that and the other thing. And the Celtics aren't as deep, <laughs> uh, you know, with bigs as they should be. Blah blah blah, all that. But I, I think that's fair. I think that's a good experience. I think the experience of last year is a potentially a bigger one than the Team USA experience for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum because now they've had a really good experience and a really bad experience very early in their career, and they know what went into both and. Listen, I'm a believer that Jalen Brown one day isn't just going to be the leader of a team. I think Jalen Brown's going to be like a senator. Some, you know, Jalen Brown's mm-hmm. going to be in a presidential debate one day. So as far as leadership is concerned, the seeds for it are beyond. I mean, you know, again, a foot smarter than the smartest guy in the room already, and he understood what happened. I think Jason Tatum will understand it as well. I think they'll look back and say, man, I was 21. Probably did some things I shouldn't have done. Probably listened to some people I shouldn't have listened to. And not in a bad way. When Kobe wants to work with you and you're 21, what are you going to say? Was that maybe the best thing? You know, just, I think Jason Tatum will look at his shot chart from last year one day and go, wow, what was I, you know, what was I thinking about? It's all part of this experience for them. And, uh, you know, I think since we know this is now their, this is Kemba Walker's car to drive. But it's only going to go as far as Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum you know, take them in the big picture. And, again, that's sort of overlooking Gordon Hayward, too, who not only was he was the bellwether all year, and he put together a string of 20 games at the end of last year that made you say, huh, I forgot Gordon Hayward was that guy. And I think there's going to be – I think that is one of the most overlooked things about this team this year is that this team has Gordon Hayward, and is he going to be closer to 2017 Gordon Hayward 
or 2019 Gordon Hayward. And if he's closer to 2017 Gordon Hayward, look out. There are a, uh, and I know Danny Ainge, among others, is is really high on the on the season that Hayward is about to have, or at least in his mind. And there there are a zillion things we could still talk about. I know we've already gone for an hour, so we won't. So I'll uh, I, I will I do want to mix this in though, not to promote another podcast, but to promote another podcast. Uh, Danny Ainge, Wick Grossbeck, and Steve Paliuka were featured on the latest Michael Holly podcast, and I don't know if you heard that or heard this portion at all, but. Uh, Ainge had a pretty good story from last year that uh, I'll I'll just play here. Brace yourself; it's it's a couple minutes long, but here it is. What's one lesson that you learned from this year? That okay, you didn't know it in October, November, but now uh, as we sit here on the doorstep of July, you've got it. Well, I mean, Jalen Brown grabbed me in the lunchroom and he came and sat by me and he said, "Do you think that we're as good as 1986 Celtics team?" Oh, my goodness. And I went, oh, my gosh. He's so young. And, uh, I mean, like, I just don't think that they could even grasp that 1985 lost to the Lakers and the torture of that series and what that led. And that, you know, Larry Bird was in his prime, one of the greatest Celtics of all time. And, you know, I, but it was just fascinating. He was just looking at it like matchup to matchup to matchup, you know, like you're doing a video game. Stop. And uh, and he lose that one too. I mean, right. match up to match up. I mean, and, and so anyway, it was just. But that was that was a real awakening to me, and uh, how just the perspective of guys, and then and then how certain guys thought they were going to be all stars this year, and they work hard all summer to reach these individual goals. But we just had too many individual goals. Like we we didn't have enough guys that that, that winning was the most important thing. And when you have twenty one and twenty two year old kids. That's going to happen. So, like, I like them, and I understand where every player is. I was that player. Yes, I wanted to be an all-star. Yes, I wanted more shots. I used to celebrate every time Bird didn't play. Are you kidding? That's more shots. Now, I wanted him on my team when we're playing the Lakers, but we're playing the Knicks on a Wednesday night. Good, Larry. Take the night off. They didn't talk about loan management in 1986. I'm just giving them some, some time off. Well, we had even talked about I mean, we had all brought, I think Steve actually even brought up the idea initially, but we, Brad and I talked, like, how about if we just rest a guy every night just so there's not so many people that want? And uh, so we, we talked about that, but then it just started happening. And then there was an injury and another injury and another injury, and we never got around to doing that. So, Sean, I think that last part's actually interesting because we, so many of us talked about that throughout last year as, as almost, you know, more than in jest of, of too many mouths to feed, just sit a guy. But yeah. with, with everything that you just heard from Danny there, and I know it went on for a little bit, but what does that experience last year and, and that story tell you about what to expect for this year? Do you think they've, they've learned from that? They've grown from that, these young guys in particular, and are, are ready to, for lack of a better term, kind of, even at you know at uh, Tatum at 21, Brown at 22. I don't worry about Marcus, but he's young. He's 25. Are these guys ready to grow up? Well, that's the question of the year, and we don't know because um, the last thing I ever wanted to do was evolve into this old get off my lawn, you know, AAU and AAU mentality, and this is how it's done. But there is a far more individual. Even the way the league is marketed, everything is individual, whereas it is the teams that win. The individual players, and by the way, let's bring this back to the Paul Pierce conversation we had. Paul Pierce went from really talented individual player to champion when in his second year with Doc Rivers, he realized, I can score 40 a night. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if I don't make everybody else better. And that's when he started looking and realizing, man, I'll, do any, I'll trade the locker room to get Kevin Garnett here because he's the ultimate guy that way an ultimate team player in making other guys better. And I think, and you know, I know, I know that story with Danny and Jalen Brown. I think it's a really good one, not because it's about being braggadocious and thinking you're great. It's the way they, it's the way you're thinking about it. The individual, this guy against this guy, this guy against this guy, but that's not like the Facebook commercial. That's not how this works. That's <laughs> not how any of this works. It's a different thing. It's about going through things. It's about playing together and finding guys that, that fit together. And I think what Danny was saying is what I was saying earlier about the individual goals, but it wasn't necessarily in a super selfish way. One of the great mysteries of the 2019 Celtics is that these were not bad guys. This was a good group of guys. 
it just didn't, they didn't fit together. And that's because Jason Tatum at 21 didn't realize that if I get a little bit better and become closer to being an all-star, he's thinking that's going to make my team better, when that isn't what makes your team better. And Jalen, you could really see, got it in the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. Jason Tatum was more disciplined in the second half of the year. He's figuring out ways to get Gordon Hayward in. So I think it's a, it's a telling story, almost as an allegory to what, what makes a team now versus what, what makes a team then. Mon, a good way to take us out. I've, uh, you know, we covered a ton over, over the last hour, and, and like I said, so much more that we could do as well if uh, you know people didn't have incredibly short attention spans. So maybe at some point we'll do another show before the season gets here. But, Sean Grandy, I really appreciate you taking the time. Anytime, man. Great stuff, as always, from Sean. I, I love chatting with him. I, I had a whole list of things I wanted to cover, but we did so many other things that I wasn't planning on talking about that I really think I only got to about half of it. So I guess that means that's uh, more to get to next weekend when we talk with, I don't know, we'll find out. If you have any requests, shoot me a line on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman, and uh, we'll we'll see if we can come up with something really good and fun uh, along with what we do each and every week. This show, of course, brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit of $55 or more. Thanks again to Sean, to uh, my producer, Evan Valenti. Thanks to Nick, Larry, John, everybody. Most of all, of course, as I always say, you. You are the driving force. You are the reason we are here. Otherwise, we would just be, I don't know, talking Celtics, having fun, but they'd be private conversations, not recorded, and, uh, uh, you know, we wouldn't have any listeners. That's not fun. So we're glad you're here. We're glad uh, everybody is here. Subscribe on iTunes to Celtics Beat. You can just search it, subscribe. It's easy. Leave ratings, reviews. Find us on Stitcher. And, of course, Twitter, like I said, at Adam M. Kaufman. I'm always tweeting out the shows. Typically my pinned tweet, easy to find, easy to listen. And you can get them on YouTube as well. Video versions of the shows, you can get them there. Subscribe to the CLNS media page on YouTube. So that's about it. That's good for now. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, what's left of it. If you're into the week already, enjoy that too. And we'll talk to you soon. I'm Adam. Thanks again. Place out, Gino. Gino.